there's been more martyred blood over this topic more than any other. One of the things we see, though, <clears throat> is there will never be a meeting of the minds on what is baptism unless we meet with the scriptures. It, it must be what does the scriptures teach about baptism. If you're someone who wants to take your view of what baptism is outside of the scriptures, then there'll never be a meeting of the minds. They will have an impasse. We'll have a disagreement. Uh, so what does the Bible teach about baptism? And that is, I believe, that the core essential is that is the values. Those are the truths. This is the instruction that we want to follow. So the Bible is our only source of faith and practice. So we don't uh, receive our instructions as a church or we don't do things out of just being ritual or we don't get it because, hey, it's a good idea to start doing this. No, we need to stay within the boundaries and the confines of the Word of God because this is the Word of God. This is God's instruction set to His churches. So the, when we come to baptism, we must meet with the fact of what does the scripture say. So if, if two parties can agree, okay, I will submit to what is true baptism by what the scriptures say alone. And so then we can have a discussion. Because if somebody doesn't want to use the Bible, we can't have a discussion over what baptism is. Or if somebody wants to violate truth in the Bible or add to it, then we can't have a discussion of what scriptural baptism is. We'll never agree unless you uh, maintain that the Bible is our sole source of faith and practice, not society, not uh, inclusion, or, uh, inclusiveness and, and everything in society. Is We do not go uh, too short or we do not go over what the scripture says. Okay, so that brings us what does the Bible say about baptism. Now there's four points that we need to see what constitutes scriptural baptism, and that's that handout. We have to have the proper mode, candidate, design, and authority. So when we start here in Matthew chapter 28, look at verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So immediately we see that Jesus gives a command to someone. Well, first of all, we see this is the end of Matthew. This is when Jesus was ascending into heaven. This is after the death, the burial, and his resurrection. And he's going up to be with the Father. And then one day he will return again in like manner. He gave his kind of church a promise that they would persevere, that there would always be his kind of church, his kind of assembly on earth until his return. And then he gives his church, and that's who he's talking to. He's not just talking to the apostles. He's talking to his church, the church which uh, was built upon him, the one he gave a promise to. He says in verse 18, all power 
is given unto me. That word power is excusia in the Greek, and it means authority. Now, other places the word says power, it means power. It means dunamis. It means explosion and power. We see God have power. But here the word means authority. So, Jesus says that all authority is given unto him. So, he says, go, there's the commission to who? His church. Go, ye therefore, because he has the authority, and teach all nations. Now, that teach all nations in the Greek, it is make disciples. You can probably see a hundred different translations, and there probably exist a hundred different translations out there of the Bible. But uh, the, behind the Greek, it means to make disciples or to become a disciple. So, what is the charge here that Jesus says? Teach all nations, go and make disciples among all nations, teach them. It also means instruct. But then he says, baptizing them. So the very words, the very word of baptizing came out of Jesus' mouth. Jesus said, charge the church to baptize. So we need to immediately ask ourselves, okay, what did Jesus mean? What did he mean by baptizing? And so we need to look and examine in the scriptures what is baptism. What did the Lord intend us to do as far as the, the active, the action of baptizing? So, first of all, baptism, and what's on your chart, first of all, baptism must be immersion. The Greek word itself means to plunge, to dip, to submerge. And if you would, open with me to Romans chapter 6, another place that we go to look at what baptism is. The first thing we must understand about baptizing is it means to plunge. It means to dip. Uh, they baptize their dishes. Like, they put it under water. Okay? That's the Greek word. It doesn't mean anything else. It doesn't mean the pour. It doesn't mean sprinkle. It means to submerge. And you cannot bend that Greek word, baptizo, in any other way. And actually, they don't even translate the word baptism into English. It is transliterated. It's baptizo, is in the Greek. So they are taking the raw usage of the word in our King James Version to baptize. It is to plunge and to dip. Now look at Romans chapter 6. Look at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. The picture of baptism is a burial. There's a burial that we have been buried with him in baptism. So the sprinkling or pouring or any of those things are not in the word of God. Uh, Brother Brong said this, A person can no more be baptized with a few drops or even a few quarts of water than he can be buried with a few specks or even a shovel full of dirt. 
more than this is needed for burial. The first Baptist preacher baptized in a certain place because there was much water there. We see baptism in the New Testament, in the Word of God, they go to bodies of water that have the ability to plunge the person under the water. Jesus himself was baptized by immersion. In Matthew 3.16, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. So Jesus commands this kind of baptism. It can only be this kind of baptism. It must be a plunge, the dip. All right, so um, we also see the, the second point. So that's the mode. So the mode is immersion. That is scriptural baptism. A baptism that does not immerse the whole person is not scriptural baptism. Okay? So the next thing is the candidate. So who can be baptized? So Jesus sets this forth as well. And, well, we see when John the Baptist... In Matthew chapter 3, turn to Matthew chapter 3 with me. Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. Well, verse 6, Matthew chapter 3, verse 6, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. He's talking about John the Baptist. But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. So John the Baptist says, before you can be baptized, there must be fruits, there must be evidence of repentance first. So what that means is you, you do not, you have to be saved before you're baptized. You are not saved as a result of baptism or after baptism or during baptism. You, are, you must be saved before baptism. And so we see that this is also in the Great Commission order. When we saw in Matthew chapter, back in Matthew chapter 18, or I'm sorry, 28. So notice the order. Go ye therefore and teach, disciple, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, and then teach them to observe. So make disciples, that is to bring to the Lord to, in, in repentance and faith that they have a genuine salvation, have a genuine experience of coming to know and trust the Lord, Jesus as their personal Savior. And then Jesus says, after that, then baptize them. And then after that, teach them. To observe all things. So we see the order given here by Jesus himself. We see the order in Acts with the, the early church that those that who gladly received him were baptized. In Matthew chapter or Acts chapter 8, it says, But when they believed Philip's preaching, the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So we see the order in Scripture is always you never have an unbeliever being baptized. You never have someone who has not already come to faith that is being baptized in the Bible. There's no infant baptisms. No lost person is being baptized. It's not a king's baptism. Baptism is not for a proxy. That's unscriptural, and it's ritualistic, and it's just makes no Bible sense. It makes no biblical sense at all 
for infant baptism because it's not there. I mean, it doesn't picture the death. It doesn't picture what it's supposed to picture, nor is it immersion. Uh, The church cannot be a proxy. A godfather cannot be a proxy. That we only have one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. There is no earthly institution that will go to God before you or on behalf of you, no matter how old you are. Okay, there is nothing because there's one mediator, there's one go between, there's one person, and that is Jesus. And between God and man, he's our high priest. We have no more earthly high priests uh, or, or popes or any of those uh, things. Um, never do you see an infant being baptized, never an unbeliever. If, uh, and you know, that's the thing is so many people get the, the idea wrong of baptism and what the waters are. The, the only candidate is to be a believer. And that's it. So sometimes, you know, sometimes you have people who may have had a false profession, and praise the Lord, the Lord reveals to them later in life that your previous profession of faith wasn't genuine. You weren't really saved. And I know people like that. I have uh, somebody in my own family. And we praise the Lord that they did, that God did show them that they weren't saved and the humility that they had to come before the church again and say, you know what, I, I know I professed Christ before, but I wasn't really saved. And so at that point, we baptize them, even if they've already had a baptism, because that first baptism was not scriptural. There's only one kind of baptism, and that's what Paul says, uh, that there's one Lord, one faith, one kind of baptism. There's one baptism, and it's scriptural baptism. If you think about it, there really is no rebaptism, because if it wasn't scriptural to the first time, then it wasn't really baptism at all. So there's only one baptism, and if you weren't saved as a child when you were baptized. And it could have been a church, a sound church. If you weren't saved during that baptism, then it wasn't scriptural baptism. Because for it to be scriptural baptism, the person must be saved. And so we're baptized. We're scripturally baptized. And so you'll see that, well, this person was baptized again. I know probably many of you already know an instance of this. Maybe it's happened to you where you saw somebody. Was it, was it you? Oh, yeah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And, you know, we see that all the time, and we give God thanks. And the Lord can break through any of those professions. And um, as we've been in Hebrews talking about be careful of false professions and this and that, and just things to be on our guard for, now, the Lord's going to save his. He's going to call you out, and he's not going to fail. He will save you. Um, he will not lose one. So the candidate must be saved. Now, Onto the design. Now there's a design. There's a proper design of baptism. And this is really where our text from Romans chapter 6 comes in. The design is symbolic. So there's no literal, uh, that's what it says. If you look at your last bullet point there of design, 
A baptism that aims to obtain necessary or additional grace is not scriptural baptism. That's invented by man. That's not from the scriptures. Uh, baptism does not add grace. Baptism does not give you more grace. There is no divine grace, and that's where they come in with the sacraments. Now, remember last week we talked about Lord's Supper and how uh, Roman Catholicism wants to call them sacraments, and some of the Protestant churches do uh, as well. They call them sacraments because the sacrament means that divine grace is being added to that observance. We don't see that in the scriptures, that we are saved by faith through grace. It is not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. The salvation which is in Christ is sufficient. There's nothing additional we need to do to perform, to act, to be, to, to say, to speak, to be here, or be there, give so much tithe, do this, do that. All of those things are works. All of those are fruits of our Christian life where we are to grow in love, we are to edify one another, we are to uh, supply for the poor and the needy and, and do all those things, but we do those works because we are saved, not in order to be saved or maintain salvation. Same thing with baptism. Baptism is a picture. It's designed to be a picture and a picture only. Now remember the mode. Remember it was burial. So what do you think the mode, what, what do you think the picture of that burial is? It's the picture of the gospel. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord's Supper, we show what? Jesus' death. That's the symbolism of the Lord's Supper. We, are, it's, it's a, uh, we take it in memorial for what he did for us. It's a solemn memorial. And the baptism is a picture of the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But not only is it a picture of what Jesus did, but it's a picture of what's happened to us on the inside, what has already happened to us. And that's why in Romans chapter 6, he says, we are buried with him in baptism, but raised again in newness of life. So when we are buried, we're plunged, it's called, also called a watery grave. We are, we're identifying, we're not only picturing what Jesus has done, but we are professing our identity to everybody. This is who I am. This is who God has saved me to be. I'm a new creature. I'm a new person. The old man has been crucified with Christ. So therefore, when Jesus died for me, he died for that old man who was under sin and under condemnation. So I've been plunged in his death. I was crucified with Christ. So I'm dead. The old man is dead. The one that was condemned to die is dead. Just as Christ was dead. But there's been a new person that he has put into me. There's a new creature in me. And that's the life which I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when we raise up out of the waters, it is a spiritual picture of what Jesus has done to you on the inside. Already. Not what he did to you when you got up out of the water. What he did to you before your baptism. Now think about this for a minute. Baptism is not necessary for salvation. Now, there's a lot of people, believe it or not, who would disagree with that. 
But think about this for a minute. Why would baptism be necessary for salvation? Well, they'll, they'll point here or point there and, and do everything. Well, think about the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross wasn't baptized. But Jesus turned to him and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The cross wasn't, or the, the, he wasn't baptized. There are people who we know that have deathbed confessions that uh, come to know the Lord in their death. They're not baptized. The salvation of Jesus Christ, the effects, the effectual salvation, the complete work he had did is in himself. It's not what he did plus what I do. It's what he has done. And I look to him. That's faith. Faith is getting your eyes off yourself and putting all your trust in him and his work. Not my work, his work. And so that is the proper design of baptism. Uh, Brother Brong also said this, and I like this. We do not bury a man to kill him. We bury a man because he's already dead. Likewise, the aim of baptism is not to kill the old man of sin, but to signify that that old man is already dead. And so uh, there's much more that we can go into, but baptism has a rich symbolic meaning. We've already talked about this. The gospel, one, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then our identification. We were buried with him in baptism. We were raised again in newness of life. It's symbolic. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away our sins. The water does not wash away our sins. If water washed away our sins, wouldn't you want to go to the Jordan and use that water where Jesus was baptized instead of the, the water out of the Lexington Reserve? I mean, if you're putting so much value in water... Why not use the water that Jesus used? I mean, it, it's kind of like uh, even their own uh, actions do not have a, they, they don't have a logical conclusion to them if you follow their logic. But it doesn't. The water does not. Yeah, Peter in 1 Peter 3.21, and I think that I even have that in here. It's an answer of a good conscience towards God. Uh, in 1 Peter 3.21, he says that it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. Baptism, uh, I like, the, when I think about baptism as, the, as an identity, it's a profession of faith, right, to the world. It's an inner resolve, that's that good conscience that you have. It's obedience to Jesus' command. It's a command, once you're saved, to be scripturally baptized. Have believer's baptism. And once you have been baptized, it's, it's like a uniform, and it's also a prerequisite to church membership and baptism. But I like to think of the identification we have in Jesus as, as a uniform. You know, just because you're baptized doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you put on an army uniform doesn't mean you're in the army. And it's the same thing. I can put on a Cincinnati Reds baseball outfit doesn't mean I'm on the Cincinnati Reds. I can do all these things that profess to people, I, this is who I am, but that does not make me that real person. 
Salvation makes me that person, and then baptism is the uniform. Baptism is the identification. Profession of faith is the identification. All right, so last, uh, administrator. Um, now, administrator, I wanted to wait till last to kind of go over this one. This one can be a little um, confusing. Who can baptize? All right. Does the Bible teach that baptism must be by someone particular? Does the Bible teach that not just anybody can baptize you? Does it have to be by somebody particular? Yes, it does. This is the fourth element of the scriptural baptism. It must be by the proper administrator. Baptism must be given to who God has given authority to do it. Does that make sense? We see this in the word of God. We see, first of all, that Jesus walked 60 miles to find John the Baptist to be baptized. Why? Because God gave authority to John the Baptist. Does that mean that Jesus could be baptized by anybody he wanted to be baptized by? No. God only gave one person the authority to administer baptism. So Jesus had to go way out of his way to be baptized. Now, when we start thinking about scriptural baptism, um, we must also understand that being scripturally baptized is obedience to Jesus' command. Okay? And we also need to realize that Jesus has a particular baptism in mind. Not just any way you want to do it. He has a baptism in mind. He went out of his way to have scriptural baptism. And when we stop and we start thinking about our love for the Lord, this is why it's, it's kind of a hot topic. This is why a lot of people sometimes get offended uh, because they're like, well, you're challenging my salvation. Or, no, no. If you're saved, you love the Lord. And if you love the Lord, don't you want to have the baptism that Jesus had and that he has in mind for you to have? And this obedience... Uh, that's what Jesus says. Have them baptized. Baptize them. So the last part of that, so not only do we see that it must be immersion, this is the baptism that Jesus had, and the one that he commanded us to give, his church, it must be immersion, it must be a safe person, it must be the right design. It's the death, the burial, the resurrection. We're picturing not only the gospel, but we're also identifying with what God has already done in us, his miraculous work of we're, being, we're born again, we're saved. <laughs> and that wonderful that we've been risen to a newness of life. And one day, one day that picture will be reality. One day we'll raise physically up from the grave, just as Jesus did. Jesus is the, fruit, fruit, the first fruits of the resurrection. But the last point is, and this seems, this is a part where people get a little upset. Jesus only gave the authority to baptize to who? His church. He didn't give it to the apostles individually because the apostles died. 
Well, who has the authority? Since the, it's not the apostles individually he gave the authority to. So, first of all, God gave it to John the Baptist. And uh, there's many scriptures that I can go into, but we're out of time. But, and then Jesus sought John the Baptist's baptism. And then when Jesus was raising, when he was ascending, he says, all authority is given unto him. Therefore, go. So the authority to baptize was given to Jesus, and Jesus gave his church the authority. The church of like faith and order. His kind of church. And only his kind of church. Now think about this. Christ's church is his body. We are carrying out the work of Jesus Christ on earth. As if you think about it, if the head has the intention of work, but who's carrying out the work? The body. The body is the one who's carrying, just like us. We are the ones who are carrying out the work of Jesus Christ on earth. Uh, so he's using us. He calls us the pillar in the ground of truth. He calls us the guardians of truth, that we have the authority as his church. So um, just as Jesus does the work through the church, just as the head does its work through the body, Jesus gave only the authority to his church to administer baptism. Um, and I think that is, um, if there's anybody who has any questions over those things, there was a, a man named A.C. Dayton. A.C. Dayton was one of the uh, fathers of landmarkism with Pendleton and Graves. And he, he wrote a book called Theodosia Ernest. And Theodosia Ernest is about a, a little girl who grew up a Presbyterian. And one day, uh, she was chasing her ball. And she looked out across the river. And she saw the strangest thing she had ever seen before in her life. She saw men dunking other men in the river. Just dunking them and then bringing them back up. She's like, that's weird. So she ran home, and she went, and she asked her mom and dad what was going on. She goes, oh, yeah, those are Baptists. They believe that the Baptist, or that the baptism is immersion. And so she started thinking about that more and more, and there was no scriptural reason they could give that it wasn't immersion. There was no scriptural reason that no one could give where it was sprinkling. Or pouring. That was what she observed. Or there was no scriptural reason that anybody could give that a lost person should be baptized to receive salvation. And so she, despite all of her family, now think about the bravery of this. She decided in humility that she wanted to be baptized the way that Jesus intended for her to be baptized. Jesus has given us a command to be baptized. Once we're saved, be baptized. What is that baptism? And the scriptures give us what that baptism is. If we love the Lord, I, I pray it's not a matter of offense or you're, you're attacking or, you know, my whole family was baptized this way and this should be fine. 
But when you're honest, how does the Lord want you to be baptized? In the rest of the book, Theodosia Ernest was her pursuing the baptism that the Lord intended her to have. And we pray that uh, if you have any questions over baptism, scriptural baptism, uh, we certainly, uh, with all love and kindness, uh, I love to open up the word of God and, and show people. But let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the day. Thank you, Father, for your mercy to us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses our sins. Father, we pray, Lord, you'll just be with the hearts today as we receive your word. Father, that we may leave this place knowing it's been good to be in your house, that we may leave edified, we may leave with courage to spread the gospel to our families just to be a witness to you this week. We pray for those who are sick. And Father, we know that you're in control, that there is nothing that is out of your control and there's nothing that you do not do in your love to preserve your people and to love your people. We thank you, Father, for all your many blessings. In Jesus' name.